This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the PWI Podcast. I am your host, PWI Senior Writer, Al Castle, along with my co-host, fellow Senior Writer, Dan Murphy, on the road. How are you, Dan? Doing well. And, uh, like you said, checking in from the road, so calling in from a cell phone tonight. Yeah, we've both been doing a, a little bit of traveling over the last few weeks. That's why we had a little bit of an extended break here between podcasts. Uh, I got to go to Disneyland, but you went somewhere far more exciting, Dan. You went to... Bluebell, Pennsylvania. Is that right? It really is the happiest place on earth. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was there in, uh, in Bluebell, Pennsylvania to the PWI home offices. Uh, I got to spend an afternoon with Stu Sachs. How well, is morning Stu? With Stu Sachs. He's, he's doing good. He's, he's doing great. Uh, you know, I had a good opportunity to uh, kind of spend some time with Stu, gossip a lot about Brady Hicks, you know, as we do. Uh, but no, it's to go through the uh, PWI uh, photo archive uh, for a project I'm working on and uh, to catch up. And, you know, the, the way, the nature of the, the business these days is I've always been a, a freelancer and, and you have as well. Um, you know, with the Internet, you can write for a magazine like PWI regardless of where you live. So uh, it's not all that often we get an opportunity to go to a home office. And uh, I, I was able to make the trip this time. Yeah, I used to be able to go every year when we do the, the PWI 500 meetings in person. Uh, because we're all over the place now, last few years we've, we've done it remotely, and because of technology also it's easier to do them uh, online. But for, I don't know, maybe four or five years, uh, every summer, you know, pack my stuff, jump in the car, and, and uh, not nearly as long a drive for me as, as for you. Uh, but I loved it, and... and uh, I think as you touched upon, as much as the wrestling magazine industry has changed, when you walk into that that photo library and you see what's there, oh I mean, you, you really feel like you're you're part of something. It is uh, incredible the, the the depth of photos and history uh, in that room. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there are pro wrestling hall of fames, and I don't mean to knock any of them. I, I didn't mean this with all the respect in the world to. The WWE Hall of Fame, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame down in Texas, the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, the one in Waterloo, whatever. But you walk into that PWI photo archive and, and open the drawers and kind of go through some of those file folders, and man, it is an absolute treasure trove. Yeah. It's really pretty fascinating. So uh, it, it was a, a great a great time, great opportunity yeah. to, uh, to have. There's a reason whenever WWE is doing a his, historical DVD or something on the network, uh, look right there for the photo credit. Uh, very often, almost always, it's Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Uh, and yep. we'll talk about Pro Wrestling Illustrated more uh, in a moment. Let's talk a little bit about what we've got on the show today. Uh, Dan, you talked to a little bit kind of an offbeat interview, not somewhere we go too often. It is wrestling, uh, but not pro wrestling. Uh, it's amateur wrestling, and and really on the highest level, you talk to uh, Olympic gold medalists, and Olympic gold medalist hopeful uh, this year's uh, games in Rio, Jordan Burroughs. That's correct. Yeah, I had an opportunity to talk to him. Uh, he's doing a little bit of a media junket going into the, uh, you know, preparing for the Olympic Games in, in 2016. Interesting guy. He was a wrestling fan as a kid, and it kind of led to him to uh, discover amateur wrestling. 
uh, very dialed in amateur wrestling as opposed to pro wrestling. But we kind of talked about his background, what he thinks about pro wrestling. And, you know, there have been, uh, obviously, Kurt Angle is the, the most obvious one, but Olympic wrestlers who have gone on to the pros. You've had Brad Rangans. Uh, you've had Chris Taylor. Um, you know, and plus NCAA wrestlers who have gone on to the pros with Brock Lesnar and others. Uh, so we talked a little bit about his future plans and what he thinks about pro wrestling, and it was a uh, unique and fun interview. And he's the guy who's favored to win the gold medal this year, so kind of a coup for the PWI podcast, a uh, Olympic gold medalist and potentially two-time gold medalist uh, on the show this week. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to, to hearing it. And uh, we got a lot uh, more to talk about. Uh, we're going to have some fun uh, talking about Extreme Rules, talking about the big news of the week, the the return of the brand split with news of SmackDown going live and having a distinct roster. Um, and uh, we're, we're going to do it kind of incorporating a feature uh, in the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Uh, let's talk about it for a moment right now. The August issue of PWI, I've got it in my hands since the last podcast. It dropped in my mailbox and uh, looks fantastic. As always, we got pictures from uh, WrestleMania 32, uh, is that what we're up to? Yeah, 32 on the cover, Roman Reigns holding the championship belt. And uh, inside, tons of fun features. My hot seat interview with TNA heavyweight champion uh, Drew Galloway. We've got a feature, uh, extensive WrestleMania coverage, a feature on the Hall of Fame, much, much more. Uh, but one of the, the annual staples, uh, uh, well, also the PWI poll, uh, if you remiss, I didn't mention that. But as far as WrestleMania coverage, what really makes... PWI WrestleMania coverage, PWI WrestleMania coverage, is our real winners uh, and losers. It's a feature uh, that's been in the magazine, I got to think, for 20 years or more now. Um, and, and basically, it's an interesting look uh, at the fact that sometimes who won a match and who lost a match doesn't tell the full story. And sometimes the winner, in, in some respects, is the loser. The loser is the winner. Sometimes the winner is somebody who wasn't even in the match. Uh, and, uh, Dan, you put that together for the latest, uh, magazine. Why don't you explain a little bit about what the real winners and losers is all about? Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, you've got WrestleMania and whoever wins the match at WrestleMania, I mean, that's a, that's a huge win, but these days uh, more than ever, uh, the night after WrestleMania, that raw is, is also a very big show. And sometimes you'll have, for example, uh, this year, um, you know, you have uh, Zack Ryder, uh, you know, winning the, the Intercontinental title, but the next night, The Miz won the belt. Right. And, and really, the re real winner of that was, uh, you know, the, the Miz. He's the one who came out of WrestleMania weekend on top, and Zack had his moment. And so you look at, at things in not just WrestleMania, but where it fits into a bigger picture. So uh, that's what we try to do. We try to put a little bit of uh, analysis with the narrative, uh, talk about what happened in the match, you know, the... the kind of blow by blow and who won and, and what time and what the match result was, but then the analysis of who the real winner was going forward. So uh, I think that you were looking to do that with the latest pay-per-view and uh, kind of extend it up that way, huh? Yeah, it's exactly right. I actually attended Extreme Rules uh, in person um, here in Prudential, New Jersey, about an hour's drive from me. Uh, I was a little reluctant to, to do the drive, uh, Sunday night, I got to get up early the next day for work and all that. But I'm really glad I did. I had a, a great time at Extreme Rules. I thought it was uh, one of the better shows I've seen in a long time. And rather than just recap the show here, uh, I think it's an opportunity to 
uh, incorporate, as I said, uh, the, the real winners and losers feature, and we're going to do that with Extreme Rules. And um, I think the news uh, just a couple days later of the brand split does uh, uh, change uh, in, in some ways who the real winners and losers were of the matches extreme rules so we're going to do that in the moment but just very quickly uh, a reminder that you can subscribe to pwi at pwi-online.com uh, get a huge discount over the, the cover price uh, half off uh, even more if you go digital and uh, what can we tell you it's 84 full color pages delivered to your door every other month uh, magazines have been around for 38 years now, whatever it is, and uh, we're still going strong, uh, as you can tell from the latest issue of PWI. So just go to PWI-online, check us out, uh, buy one issue, buy 10 issues, buy a million issues, the more the merrier, uh, subscribe, and go to uh, iTunes, subscribe to this uh, podcast as well. Something I haven't mentioned doing that, that uh, I was reminded of is Please leave a, a review on iTunes. That helps us a, a whole bunch. Only if it's a positive review, though. If it's a negative review, you can go ahead and skip it. But if you like the show, yeah, please yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, give us five stars or, or whatever it is. However, they uh, I just assume they do it like we do wrestling matches. Uh, and yeah, follow us on social media. Yeah, follow us on social media at official PWI on Twitter and uh, find us on Facebook and all of that. So. Dan, before we get to the real winners and losers uh, of Extreme Rules, let's just do uh, a, a little breaking news here on the news of the brand split. Um, you know, when we were planning this podcast uh, yesterday, I wasn't even aware of this, and um, or I guess it was earlier in the week, and then this news drops, and I mean, you know, I was already thinking to the end of the year when we're compiling the biggest news stories of the year, this is going to be near the very top. The return of the brand split, the news is... Uh, SmackDown's going live on Tuesdays. They're going to do a draft sometime in the coming weeks, uh, and they're going to have distinct rosters. There, it you know all the details haven't been fleshed out. There's some talk of returning to uh, two world championships. Uh, there's some talk of a floating world champion that goes back and forth, which is the option I'd prefer. Um, you know, there there's all kinds of speculation if one brand becomes more kind of the the NXT brand more about athleticism uh, and youth, that kind of thing. And, and uh, it would seem like SmackDown would be the likely option for that. And Raw is more the sports entertainment brand, um, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, Dan, I think in, in theory, it's a great idea. I thought it was a great idea when they first did it uh, 14 years ago. Um, the, the problem is, do they have the discipline uh, to pull it off? And... Uh, I hate to be just a, a cynic here, but I think the answer is no. Um, it doesn't make it a bad idea. It's, it's a great idea. But, you know, Vince McMahon's history, certainly over the last 10 years or so, has shown that he does not have the, the discipline, the patience to see something through. He gets a lot of these kind of new toys, these, these pet ideas, pet projects, and uh, executes them the right way for the, the first several weeks or months. And then maybe a couple of guys go down to injury or ratings drop a little bit. You hit the panic button. You, you put everybody on the same show, load it up as much as possible. And for all intents and purposes, the brand split is dead. Um, I worry that that's going to happen, whether it happens in, in six weeks or six months or a year or more. Uh, I just I'm not terribly hopeful about this. 
I'm going to be more cynical than you. I think it's a terrible idea. It's really? A terrible idea. Yeah, because it's been done. It's, it's another example of WWE reaching a plateau. We're not attracting new fans. Ratings are continuing to dwindle. House show business is hit or miss. We go into the typical post-WrestleMania uh, kind of decline a little bit, and fans still aren't enamored with Roman Reigns, and the company has made a commitment. We're staying with Roman Reigns. So, okay, let's do some smoke and mirrors and change things up a little bit and see what we can do to rejuvenate the fan base. And they're doing the same thing that they did 14 years ago. It's, it's, a, it, it's a time where new challenges call for new answers. And when you're using the same answers that didn't really work the first time around, it just... But they didn't work great. because it wasn't done right. It doesn't make the idea a bad one. I, maybe it, it didn't work right. Maybe it was a flawed idea from the beginning. I don't know. For me, I just think that you've got Raw established as the A brand. SmackDown established as by far the B, C, or D brand. Uh, you know, I know a lot of fans who don't watch SmackDown at all, you know, because anything you need to see will happen on Raw or they'll update it on Raw. Um, SmackDown is still a great show, but it's not must-see viewing. And that's a lot of the way that it was handled. And the thing is, maybe... I think they've done irreparable damage to that brand. If they kill SmackDown, if they decided the second brand, for lack of a better term, was NXT, yes, that's amazing. What a great idea. Here's the up-and-comers. This is developmental. This is a different nuance, entirely different brand, a new identity. Let's try it. But no, they're going back to what they did years ago. And for the love of God, if they go with Shane running one show and Stephanie doing the other and the entire thing being about the McMahons in charge and two world champions yet again, it will be a disaster. I, I mean, I couldn't think of a worse step backwards than that. So well, I, I, I agree about the, the McMahons, move. even though I expect that is what's going to happen. That's the, nat the natural next step in um, this McMahon storyline. But I don't see that necessarily as... A deal breaker, one way or the other. I mean, I'm I I'm the first one to sign up for less McMahon's on TV, um, but right. yes, this was done before. But but as I said, I think it was a good idea then when they when they did it 14 years ago. WCW had just folded. The idea was uh, let's let's recreate some of the competition we had with WCW, but we do it in house. Essentially, create a, a second company. Um, now these many years later. I, I think the the point is to address something that you said, and that is that SmackDown is just utterly skippable. I mean, there's really no reason to watch SmackDown anymore. You put it live on Tuesday night. You give it its own roster uh, of stars. If it becomes the only place to see AJ Styles or John Cena, you are uh, creating a reason to watch SmackDown. It, it becomes uh, a relevant. It becomes an important show potentially as important as Raw. I feel like that's probably a little naive to say that because Raw is Raw, but it is a live show with first-run matches, um, its own storylines. You know, you remember, at its peak, the brand, split worked, the brand split worked really well. You had Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar and Eddie Guerrero um, on, on SmackDown, and you had Triple H and I forget who it was. I mean, uh, some other guys, Shawn Michaels and, and some but, others. But, no, but, but that's the point. That's the point. You forget who it was. And that, that's why I'm saying, and, and you're saying the same thing, that it didn't work the way it was done. I just think that they didn't do enough to establish those two separate brand identities. And now with Raw, 
to be honest, nobody's clamoring for more WWE on television. Well, they're not when it's more of the same, you know, and that's just it, is that you've got three hours on Monday night right now, and you've got another two hours on Thursday night, plus on pay-per-view weeks, three or four hours on Sunday, and and everything else, Uh, and that is too much. But when the two hours on Thursday night become two hours live on Tuesday night of of wrestlers and storylines that you can only see on Tuesday night, um, I think that that helps the problem of WWE uh, being sort of oversaturated, overexposed. Uh, it, it doesn't hurt it. It doesn't make it worse, I don't think. To me, it feels like because WWE Raw already feels bloated and, and, and difficult to watch most weeks, and this feels like the announcement of uh, WCW Thunder, which is a show that nobody wanted. But Thunder was the I, same I wrestlers very, uh, I know, it was for another two hours a week. They, they used a lot of guys who couldn't make the cut on, on, on Nitro. Right. Uh, to me, it, it just feels like if, if you're going to try to do a separate brand, a separate identity, do something new. Don't, don't do this retread. Do, do something different and have some kind of out-of-the-box thinking. Have, if you want to have an all-cruiserweight show, fine. If you want to have a, a theme show, you know, all gimmick matches, whatever it wants to be, just something different. This, this raw SmackDown brand split, split with... with you know, a separate world champion, separate GMs, whatever authority figure name you want to use. It's been done. It's, it's tried, you know, it, it's, it's played out. But, but you don't know that it, it won't be some of those things. Uh, I mean, I don't expect it to be just a Cruiserweight show. But I think they, they could do something to give SmackDown its own flavor, um, uh, separate than just being called SmackDown and, and the graphics being in blue versus red. I think there are things right. they could do to to make SmackDown feel different, have a different energy. And again, I think when when the brand split worked the best, it it was like that. You know, again, remember there there was a while where SmackDown was the wrestling brand, um, and Paul Heyman was running it, and and you had Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar having these amazing matches, and and Eddie Guerrero coming and into Rob his own, and Rey Mysterio, and yeah, they were all there. Yeah, but again, I, I still skipped it regularly back then because it just didn't feel like musty, compelling television. Well, I know the right, were but it doesn't get any more I... skippable than it is right now. True, that is true. So, so I feel like they can only it can only get better, or it, or it can't get worse. So, I mean, I, I think where we both agree is um, that we have some cynicism here, and 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 we're not terribly optimistic. I think. Uh, we're, we're not optimistic for different reasons. Uh, right. I just don't see... I think there's a right way to do this. I don't see uh, Vince McMahon having the, the, the patience and the discipline for doing it the right way. By his own admission, I mean, if you remember, uh, uh, I think it's what he said in, in the podcast interview with Steve Austin, you know, he treats every day like it's the first day, and, and it's all about what can we do tonight to give fans um, the, the best show they can. And in some ways, that's admirable. But what that also tells you is, you know, you're willing to mortgage the future to put on a show tonight. And that's why you ended up, that's why the brand split ended up falling apart was because it was, well, let's just combine all the, let's do a super show tonight and a super show uh, the next week. And before you knew it, I mean, the, 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 the brand split had just fallen apart. The World Heavyweight Championship was around the waist of, Jack Swagger being defended on the opening match and, and SmackDown yeah. had just become a joke. So they they need to give the two brands some parity. Um, 
I don't anticipate that happening. But SmackDown consistently won that bragging rights trophy. So <laughs> that was, I forgot all about that, that thing. <laughs> that counted for something, right? Didn't that prove that they were the superior the bragging brand, rights right? trophy? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're, we'll talk more about the brand split um, as we talk about uh, Extreme Rules. Uh, as I said, I was there in the Prudential Center, and, and in some ways, um, maybe it gives me a bit of a biased point of view, but I also think it gives me uh, a, a better point of view than, than some in the sense that uh, I, I heard that the, the crowd wasn't mic'd very well uh, on TV. I haven't seen it uh, back on TV. And uh, so you might not have gotten a flavor of how hot that New Jersey crowd was. And they were red hot. Uh, I, I, I said, I tweeted, I was tweeting live from the Prudential Center that uh, four way IC title match, which we'll talk more about. Uh, I don't recall ever uh, a witnessing a crowd as hot as they were for the, that match. And I was in the Sky Dome for, for Hogan versus The Rock, and I remember the, the electric atmosphere for that. The Prudential Center was literally shaking. I mean, my seat was shaking uh, about how hot that crowd was, how loud and excited they were for that match. Uh, it was just a great atmosphere. Um, I think we saw the best WWE match of the year on Sunday night uh, at Extreme Rules and the second best WWE match of the year at Extreme Rules. So were there some things that fell flat on the show? Absolutely. But I think overall it was uh, a big thumbs up show. How about you? Yeah, I, there were definitely, you know, seeing it live on Imagine, there was definitely a different energy that, that came across on the pay-per-view or on the network, uh, the stream, uh, obviously. Um, for me, it was a, you know, it, it was an exciting show. There were some great matches, but for me, it was a filler show. It's one of these, um, you know, it, it's post-WrestleMania, it's the immediate post-WrestleMania show, and, and, and you have the, uh, you know, AJ Styles kind of in that position with, with Roman Reigns, and it's largely filler. It, to me, it didn't seem like anything really noteworthy happened. It's, it's, a, it's like going to see a, a house show. You know, you can have a great time, but it doesn't really matter. It's, it's one of those shows that's kind of one and done and, and forget about it and nothing comes out of it. Um, that being said, there were some great matches, but overall I think it was just kind of a placeholder event and not. I, I didn't have that level of excitement that, that you experienced live at the venue. I, I kind of disagree. I mean, I think Extreme Rules, as far as its place in, in the calendar, is a filler show. It is one of these um, shows in between WrestleMania and SummerSlam. They're just kind of there to get right. you through. Um, but there were some some high stakes happenings uh, at this show uh, that we'll go through here, and and some great matches. But but I think uh, uh, maybe this is something of an exaggeration. But I think there were some careers that were potentially made uh, on Sunday night, and some some major. Uh, uh, steps in storylines, a uh, major progression. Uh, so let, let's just go through it. We'll start with the main event, uh, AJ Styles versus Roman Reigns. I love this match. I, I thought it was um, exactly what uh, what it should have been. I, you know, if, if I were to think of my mind what an Extreme Rules match between AJ Styles and Roman Reigns could and should look like, this was it. Uh, I, I just... I thought it was fantastic. Um, the winner, of course, was Roman Reigns. Uh, here's my real winner. I think my real winner was AJ Styles. 
uh, certainly with the news a few days later of, of the brand split. I think AJ more than proved um, after the, the this two-month run in the main events that he can be a main eventer. And I think that was uh, something that he really did have to prove uh, to Vince McMahon at, at you know going on 39 years old, having made his name largely in TNA and, and then going to Japan, the southern accent, the small size. This is not somebody who Vince McMahon was going to fall in love with overnight. Uh, but no. I think in his performance on Sunday night and really everything he's done in, in the last couple months and the way the crowds have responded to him, I think he, he hopefully has convinced Vince McMahon and, and decision makers in WWE that he can, he can carry that football and now with the brand split and and looking for guys who who could be that quarterback uh, on on either brand, it, it makes a lot of sense for AJ Styles to be one of the top uh, faces of SmackDown. Uh, I think he really positioned himself well uh, going forward. Uh, what do you think? Who's your real winner of that match? I would disagree. I would go with the real loser is AJ Styles. Really? And the real winner, yeah, the real winner being Seth Rollins. And the reason, obviously, Seth Rollins came out at the end, basically Seth Rollins showing up at the end of the event eclipsed everything that AJ Styles did because the next night, the story was Seth Rollins. And Raw opened the next night with Seth Rollins and Seth Rollins' position as the top contender and getting the next title shot. For me, that was AJ Styles' high watermark. He had his match. He had his, his match with no outside interference. He one-on-one against, against Roman Reigns, and he lost. And the bottom line is, He's not a world champion. He's not world title material. That's Vince McMahon's message. That's WWE's message. We gave your indie darling an opportunity, and there you go. Uh, right there with uh, Scott Steiner and Booker T back <laughs> with the WCW invasion. They had their opportunity. That's it. They'll never get it again, and maybe we'll put them in the uh, IC title picture at some point down the road. Now, I, I got the brand split makes a difference because maybe they will – put them over there. Maybe there's an opportunity, depending on what they do with SmackDown brand. But if they do that, I think it's a terrible move. And not because of AJ, but if you're going to try to set a separate, different brand identity with the SmackDown brand, and the guy that you put on top, and and this is assuming that they do separate world champions and a lot of things we're assuming, but if they do that, having the guy who just lost to the Raw world champion at the last pay-per-view clearly reinforces the idea that SmackDown is the B show. So there's no way in the world that I would make AJ Styles the champion of that show because it just reinforces the notion that SmackDown just isn't as good as Raw. I don't expect him to be the, the champion of SmackDown, at least not immediately. I think it's certainly possible that, that he uh, could be if they do split the titles. I could see AJ having a world championship in WWE uh, on what probably would be the B brand sometime the next year or so. Uh, but I, I think he'll be positioned high on the cards. And, um, right, if there wasn't a brand split, I, I'd be more inclined to agree that, well, AJ had his moment, he gets pushed down the cards, maybe he ends up at some kind of mid-card pitcher, you know, competing for the IC title. But now with essentially two WWEs, um, I, I think he's got a better chance of staying near the top of the cards, relevant. I got a very different take about Seth Rollins. I had him as my real loser of this match, and, and that might be a little counterintuitive uh, as well. And the reason I say that is he came out there, end of the night, this crowd had been red hot all night and, and uh, popping for, for the New Day, popping for AJ Styles, popping for Dean Ambrose. 
Seth Rollins got the pop of the night. They were going crazy for Seth Rollins. He came back and instantly, in, in that last minute, knocking out uh, Roman Reigns, was the top babyface in all of wrestling. And what did they do the next yeah. night? They made, they made him uh, a heel, and, and, or at least established him uh, as a heel. Again, I mean, it was similar to what they did with uh, Alberto Del Rio when they brought him back. And he got a big reaction in California. What do they do? They turned uh, him heel. Miscast. You know, they had they could have had something really special with Seth Rollins uh, returning a, a, as a babyface and doing what he did, taking out Roman Reigns and 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 just kind of being a lone wolf babyface. Um, and and for once, they would have a top babyface that fans are cheering for, and they just couldn't do it because you know they they have it set in their mind. No, we need Roman Reigns uh, as as the good guy, and Seth Rollins will be his bad guy challenger. It's going to be really hard to pull that off. I disagree, and here's why. Because you think of the quintessential bad guy who became a good guy because the fans willed him to it, and, and that's Steve Austin. But Steve Austin had little moments where he was showing babyface characteristics before the double turn with Bret Hart, where you know he... he passed out from the pain rather than submitting in WrestleMania. And Bret Hart got frustrated and beat him down after the match, and, and it kind of turned both guys. Um, Seth Rollins has never shown a redeemable quality. Uh, he, he was the champion. He went down with injury, and then he came back, and he gets that initial pop because everyone's excited to see him back. But he hasn't, they haven't laid the groundwork for him to become a, a real bona fide good guy. Think of when Randy Orton turned babyface the first time in 2004. He was part of Evolution. He was the champion. And what happened, instead of him turning on Evolution and saying, you know, I, I don't like these four-on-one, five-on-one attacks we're doing. I, I have a conscience. I want to show sportsmanship and fair-mindedness, whatever. Instead, they had Triple H turn on him. And it was supposed to turn him babyface. But he didn't do anything good. Right. Like, you can only become a good guy if you do something good, if you do something heroic. It, and that's why his babyface turn never really took off. He, he became a good guy because the other bad guys rejected him, and that's no reason to become a, a hero. And I think that Seth Rollins is back, reestablished himself as the, the evil guy, and I think over the next three or four months, we will begin to see those steps. So when he really does make that turn to the babyface that the fans really want to see happen, it'll be at critical mass. I think it was too soon to do it in his first debut back. I think you need to develop his character and storyline arc a little bit more. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that's, that's what they're going to do. Yeah. I, I think the fans in New Jersey, at least, thought that uh, taking out Roman Reigns was as heroic a thing a, as you could do. Uh, so well, so in that true. sense, I think they saw it <coughs> as, as a babyface act. And um, th that kind of takes me to, to one more loser that I had uh, in, in this match. And that was, and this might be a little harsh, uh, but the fans. Um, I think the like it did with, with John Cena, the anti-Roman Reigns sentiment is getting way too far and it's getting unreasonable and it's just becoming the thing to do because, look, Roman Reigns is very, very flawed uh, and um, I, I certainly uh, understand, agree, sympathize with people who think he is not the guy, uh, the guy, as he likes to say, or shouldn't be the guy, but Unequivocally, this guy is is working his tail off in there, and that match with AJ Styles, like his match 
last month with AJ with AJ Styles, like like many other matches he's had, um, have not just been good because he's been carried. He's more than held his own, and he he had a great performance um, on Sunday night. And um, even when when he pulled off some spot that the fans uh, uh, really enjoyed, what was the chant? You still suck, and that's fine. And you know it's good for a laugh, but. You know, it, it absolutely happened with John Cena that while John Cena was becoming one of the best, if not the best performer in the business, um, you had these, you know, John Cena sucks. And it, it, it and yeah. I thought it made fans lose their credibility. You're, you're not an objective observer of, of what you're watching. You're just trying to be part of the show. Uh, and I, I lose some respect for that. There, there is something to be said about that, that the fans in recent years have become more of a part of the show. They try to, you know, hijack the show and do things. But the other thing is, you know, WWE, they just, they do the things to spite their own fans. They, they lock down and say, this is what we want. Whether you like it or not, doesn't matter. This is the way it's going to be. Learn to deal with it because it's going to be like this for the next five, six years. And, and that's infuriating. I mean, if you're a, a fan of a TV show or uh, movies or any uh, band, anything, and they consistently put out something that you genuinely dislike, then, then why, why follow it? Uh, and, and, you know, WWE fans still do because they're loyal to the brand more than the individual. Um, but, you know, that, that, that commitment to guys like John Cena and, and Roman Reigns and other people, I, personally... You know, I don't identify myself as a fan. I'm, I'm a reporter. I'm an analyst. I'm, you know, a columnist, whatever it is. Uh, but I'm not a fan of those guys. I don't want to see those guys. I, I have all the respect for what they do. But that fan in me would rather watch Kitchen Nightmares or whatever, <laughs> anything other than those guys in the ring. They're they're it, they're not terrible wrestlers. They're they're quite good. It's just that they're pushed too heavily. They're they're the there's no dynamic to the character. Um, think of it this way. Uh, who, who's more intriguing, Superman or Batman? It, Batman at least is a tortured person who wrestles with self-doubt and has human frailty. Superman's just Superman. Superman can beat up anybody. He's got powers that other people don't even know about. Like, it's hard to cheer for Superman because he's invincible. Batman is, is the more nuanced character. And WWE keeps wanting to throw a Superman in an era of Batman and, and even more so in an era of the Joker, of the anti-hero. And it just shows how painfully behind the times they are. So I don't blame the fans for turning on it. it, it again, you don't want to hijack the show. I understand that. But uh, my sympathy is more with the fans on WWE for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it's a little unfair to, to, to Roman Reigns because uh... – you know, I believe in giving somebody credit when where it's due, and and he's been working hard, and um, the reactions he's gotten, I don't think don't reflect that. Let's talk a little bit about um, uh, some some of the other big matches on the show. I don't think we need to spend too much time on the women's match because there really wasn't a whole lot there. Uh, the winner was Charlotte beating uh, Natalia in the submission match. Uh, my real winner is Dana Brooks, who comes in, um, you know, debuts just a few weeks ago, supposed to be a part of a tag team with Emma. Emma, uh, I, I guess, uh, is on the sidelines, and she gets elevated true, to yeah. being uh, the sidekick to the top women act in WWE, so so good for her. I mean, you, you can't be slotted much better than that. My real loser, Charlotte. She had a, a streak of, of uh, really terrific matches on um, – 
on major stages, whether it was WrestleMania, where she had the best match at WrestleMania, and she's in uh, her match last month with Natalia. She's delivered a lot. This one fell flat, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's irreparable, but it's a little bit of a, a black mark that she couldn't keep that streak of uh, high-quality matches going here. Yeah, and that's fair. I give Charlotte the real winner uh, because she, she came out of it with the title, and she's still presented strong. She has a new revitalized partner in her corner instead of Ric Flair. Um, the entire split with Rick was kind of weird and, and very heavy-handed and just kind of happened out of nowhere. Um, but Charlotte is still positioned very strongly as the, the women's champion. Uh, for me, the real loser, and it wasn't at the show, but because of circumstances, is Sasha Banks. Uh, again, reportedly with a, a head injury and a, a kind of freak accident where she apparently took a, a knee from a referee and a, a weird kind of just collision. Uh, but again, she was somebody who had all the momentum in the world going into WrestleMania, and every day that goes by, in my opinion, and, and the, the conventional wisdom is, well, SummerSlam will be her day. Well, yes, and, and it might be, it might work out that way. But every day that she is not contending for that title now, after being so close, diminishes her, her, her value, her, her stock, I think. And uh, I, I really think that she's the one who's kind of the, the left out person in the equation at this point, especially with the injury. Yeah, yeah. Potentially another loser uh, is Ric Flair, who was uh, written off the next night uh, on Raw. You know, there's nothing that Flair likes more than performing and... Who knows when and if he'll get another opportunity uh, to do it. I'm sure he's been having the time of his life playing the character, you know, playing a heel, which he loves doing alongside his daughter. Uh, you know, this must have just been uh, the most fun he's had in, in a long time. And certainly he's had um, a lot of challenges and grief in the last few years. So this must have been just kind of uh, a second honeymoon for him. And uh, it came to an end on Monday night. So too bad for him. Uh, another big match on the show, Chris Jericho versus Dean Ambrose. <coughs> Dean Ambrose wins. This was an asylum match. Uh, my uh, real winner is uh, Jericho, who I think has settled into this role. You know, you mentioned Ric Flair. He's sort of the, the modern-day ring veteran. Um, you slot him in there with anybody. You'll get a good match out of them. He's, he, he's doing terrific work uh, as a heel. I was a little... Uh, it, it took me a little while to warm up to this latest character because I feel like it's been a little hokey, uh, but but I, I'm coming around and, and, you know, the way he sold the thumbtacks in this match, it was just classic uh, old-time heel stuff, and, and I really appreciated it. Uh, the loser, uh, again, I'd say the fans in this one in that this match wasn't very good at all. Um, it, it, you know, I think it got better toward the end. I think when they introduced the thumbtacks, Fans kind of got back into it, but certainly the New Jersey crowd turned on it, uh, and for good reason. I mean, I thought it was one of these matches where the stipulation hurt more than it helped, uh, and it was just kind of clumsy and plotting and really long, something like 26 minutes. Uh, this didn't work at all. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I like Ambrose. I'm not a huge fan of Ambrose. I'm not as high on him as other people are. He, he was voted most popular wrestler of the year in, in the PWI um, Achievement Awards for the past few years. I've never seen that. I've never seen him as the most popular guy in the WWE. I think he's sort so, of the de facto uh, most popular. You know, it's sort of right. faint praise. Yeah, because other guys like Roman Reigns, John Cena are polarizing and everything else. But um, 
they're, they're not giving him the right opportunity to shine. And it's a PG era, and, and if you're going to have a, you know, a lunatic, a lunatic fringe kind of character, he shouldn't be towing the line in PG matches. And, you know, the New Jersey crowd is, is savvy enough to have seen some hardcore matches in the past. And, uh, you know, just because they roll out some thumbtacks, you know, it, it's, it, it's a little hokey, and, and I don't really care for, you know, like you said, it was too long and it lost the crowd a lot along the way. Um, you know, a real winner of the match? I don't know because I don't really know where they go from here. Um, I, I think I, I like your point about Jericho possibly being the winner. Um, I don't know if that makes Ambrose the loser. I, I don't really know because it seems like they're in a, a little bit of a bubble all to themselves. I don't know where Ambrose goes after this feud. I don't know what this feud position is for. I, I think Ambrose is a winner in the sense that, um, you know, we've talked about it before. I think heading into WrestleMania, he could not win a match for months. Right. Uh, and uh, now he's got two in a row in, in some pretty big matches with Jericho. And again, a guy who potentially in a brand split stands to benefit <clears throat> because, you know, everybody has half as many uh, uh, people to compete with, N not in the ring, but politically, you know, in, in, in the hierarchy. And so um, Ambrose, who was already potentially the, the number two babyface in the company, you know, at least in John Cena's absence, uh, gets to move up that much more. Uh, so it, it could be a really good thing for him. Um, and uh, another loser, here's a wacky one, Byron Saxton, who, who did not get to uh, hand his signature blood capsule over to, to either wrestler, and, and they really could have benefited from it. I mean, I, I totally understand um, the policy of, of not blading. I think it's logical. It's humane. Uh, but something like a blood capsule uh, where nobody's in any kind of danger, but you get the same uh, uh, effect, the same visual... If any match called for it, it was this. I mean, you got guys hitting each other with uh, mops and sticks and thumbtacks and uh, a, a barbed wire two by four, and nobody's got a scratch. Yeah, it it's just uh, it just makes you not care about the match. If you're going to do something that's so, you know, there's been a couple times in wrestling history. I remember when uh, Jimmy Garvin, I think Kevin Sullivan, broke Jimmy Garvin's leg by smashing a cinder block over his knee. And it was just so ridiculous. Really, yeah. a cinder like that's just. And he was back like two weeks later. Uh, the entire thing was Triple H with a sledgehammer. You hit a guy in the head with a sledgehammer. You're fracturing the skull. <laughs> you're killing a man. You know, it's it's just so. But if you're going to bring out weapons, ostensibly with barbed wire on them or thumbtacks, like the entire point of that is to draw blood. And if you're going to either draw blood or don't use that weapon, otherwise it's just a watered down bat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another big match on the show. As I said, I think it's the best WWE match of the year so far. <clears throat> the uh, the Fatal 4-Way for the IC title. Um, Cesaro, Miz, uh, Sami Zayn, and who am I forgetting is in this match? Kevin Owens, of course. Yep. And uh, the winner was The Miz. Um, as far as a real winner, I'd say The Miz. I, I think he's doing great, great work. I mean, I think he is... I talked about Jericho uh, doing great uh, work as a heel. I think The Miz might be right up there, if not better. Um, I think the act with Maurice is just top-notch. And 
Uh, I was pulling for him to win this match, and I went with my seven-year-old son, and my seven-year-old son doesn't know things like this. He just roots for the good guy and against the the, the bad guy, and he was rooting for Sami Zayn uh, to win. And when The Miz won, uh, he was really upset and deflated, and I think the rest of the crowd was. And that is exactly what they were going for and what you want. Um, And I thought he he pulled it off to perfection, uh, and I think he's doing great work. Another guy who potentially stands to benefit from this brand split because I've thought for a, wh- a while now that, you know, Miz at least should be considered for uh, a main event run. Not necessarily a world title run, but I think he could be a a credible opponent for a Roman Reigns potentially for an off-month pay-per-view, uh, a month, two months, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, I think he's just doing great. So let me put this down right now. You are voting... If I can get this right, two time PWI number 500 one, number one. PWI 500. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. No, I, you're right. Miz is doing some great work right now. He's doing classic heel stuff. I mean, you know, that's he's doing very well in the, the role he's given. Um, the real standouts for me. All four of those guys, I mean, the case can be made. I mean, they're all doing just some fantastic work. They're all winners. I, I could see a world title literally being put on any one of those four guys. And all four of them kind of being dark horses. But if they were to get the title, thinking, okay, yeah, that's a guy I can get behind. You know, whether I, as a baby face or a heel, whatever it is, like, I, I can see it happening. Uh, Sammy Zane continues to impress. He is, I think, WWE's new Rey Mysterio. Yeah. He is the underdog that you just want to cheer for. And whether you're five years old or you're 95 years old, he's just got that charisma. And I never thought it. I, I, I love him. El Generico, who was friends with Sami Zayn, as we know. Um, but yeah. El Generico on the independence, I, I, I knew, you know, he, he was very exciting, but I never thought that that guy would, would get to this level. Um, and he has. Uh, so I'm really impressed with him. He's a real winner. But I think my real winner of the match, as he's been, is Kevin Owens. Um, Kevin is just, he is WWE's go-to heel and uh, he's just the, he, he does the big bad bully thing so well. He's not the biggest guy, like Sheamus could, could pull it off more from sheer physicality, but he's got all of the nuances and the little things that just make you hate the guy, but so charismatic at the same time. He's kind of like a, a new Roddy, Roddy Piper for, yeah. uh, for this generation. Yeah, and again, in a brand split, you know, not to be a broken record, um, he could absolutely be a top heel in either brand. Um, and and a world champion, uh, so I, I think this could be great for him. Uh, again, as you said, everybody looks so great in this match. It's hard to to call anybody a loser. Um, the, the one thing I'd say, <clears throat> it, this is kind of a weird one, but Cesaro in in being as good as he was in this match, um, I almost felt like I, I worry that he, uh, in, in being that good, is going to be pigeonholed as the kind of ru- wrestler who does these kind of matches. And they are mid-card matches. They, they are the mid-card, high-spot, athletic match. And um, I think that limits your upward mobility. So I think he's the one guy who, in this match, uh, I didn't sense steps out of this match into a main event. I, I think it's the kind of thing that sort of entrenched him in... Uh, that I see title pitcher, and <clears throat> it's kind of too bad because he's got, you know, all the tools, certainly, to, to do more than that. Um, let, let's not spend too much time on, on the rest of um, 
the uh, the matches. But just very quickly, New Day and uh, the Vaude Villains, uh, kind of a nothing match. New Day won, <clears throat> and I'd say, <clears throat> sorry, they're the real winners in that. Um, I think they're just about as over as anybody in WWE, and that New Jersey crowd uh, could not get enough. I mean, they were just eating up everything the New Day was doing. It was like a comedian on stage, absolutely killing. And, uh, it, you know, to me, they're the one act that, now that they're positioned as babyface, babyfaces, are completely over in the way they're supposed to be over. You know, they, they are babyfaces that the crowd absolutely adores. So, uh, good for them. Yeah, yeah, they definitely are. And it's funny because this is kind of such a, you can't even define what the New Day is if you're to describe it. Like, well, what is it? Well, you know, it's not easy to define. It. Yeah. These guys who kind of go out and they're just a little goofy, a little offbeat, a little pop culture based. And, and you know, it, it, they, they had this indefinable quality that nobody could have put down on paper and says, okay, this is the role you're going to play. Go out there and do it and get over. It just organically happened, and it's doing really well. Um, that being said, it makes me wonder if they cast Enzo Amore. Um, that's the other team that has a lot of fan following, a lot of momentum. The Vaudevillians, I like them. I enjoy watching them a lot, but they certainly, you know, they, they were fodder for a new day. Um, but if, if Cass and Enzo uh, get an opportunity to go up against them, that's one they could potentially take some of the fan loyalties away. And, and they're, they're certainly the, the heir apparent, I would say, in WWE right now in the tag team ranks. Uh, as soon as Enzo gets healthy and, and is able to compete again, if, if that happens. I know they're talking about Big Cass possibly going solo for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, right now, New Day is definitely, you know, on the ride. And we'll see. Maybe they can eclipse the uh, demolition rank for longest uh, – well, actually, it was demolition who was the longest reigning tag team until uh, London and Kendrick. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, the unlikely uh, uh, Yeah. So, but it, it's funny because – and. London and Kendrick, I believe at that time, competed primarily on SmackDown. Yes. And they're not memorable because, you know, it just, it just wasn't must-see viewing, whereas everybody kind of remembers Demolition for their year-plus reign. Yeah. So uh, maybe New Day can finally break that record. Yeah. And then quickly, uh, Rusev versus Kalisto. Um, Rusev wins uh, the U.S. title. I had as a real winner um, John Cena in that— uh, Yeah. You'd think he might be positioned um, to to uh, go after the U.S. title, rekindle the magic that he had last summer in his U.S. title run. Um, and uh, the other match on the show uh, was the club and the Usos. And um, the club wins, beating the Usos. And I've got as uh, my real winners uh, New Day, who, you know, I think in the club have potentially some good challengers and uh, to have some good matches against. I mean, the Vaudevillains, I think it was just sort of, you know, you fill a month. It wasn't much of, of anything. But I think a New Day club feud for the titles could have some real fan interest. Yeah, it's definitely an intriguing match. And I think you're right that uh, the, the real winners in that would be, well, other than the club themselves. Uh, but the other one, if you want to go off the board a little bit, um, the Finn Balor. Uh, you know, if AJ Styles and the club have parted ways now, then maybe that opens the opportunity for Finn to finally come up and, and you know, from NXT 
and, and reunite the board club version that he was in charge of when he was in New Japan. Um, it would really be nice to have, because it, as good as Gallows and Anderson are, and Anderson is an amazing guy to watch in the ring, uh, Gallows just big, you know, Festus, big, strong, you know, uh, corn-fed colossus, if you will. Um, but they need a spokesman, and uh, I, I think Baylor could be the guy for that. If WWE wants to kind of, considering they've been acknowledging in a roundabout way the Bullet Club as much as they have, he'd be the likely guy. Uh, so them getting the, uh, the, the victory and, and being presented in a strong way, maybe that's the opportunity to bring up uh, Baylor and, and make it happen. Yeah, yeah, and you'd think the next step from there would be a feud with AJ Styles, who you know seems to be on the outs now officially with the club. So uh, if if Finn Balor comes in, then you've got that ready-made feud, uh, Balor and AJ Styles, and that could be, you know, more than a good consolation prize for AJ to move into that feud. Yeah, that's so. match of the year. That's, yeah, you know, those yeah. two guys, SummerSlam is match of the year. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Dan, this was a lot of fun. Um, a good way to, again, incorporate uh, this really fun feature we do every year, the real winners and losers of WrestleMania, uh, available in the August issue of PWI, available now on newsstands. Dan, thank you. Uh, let's now uh, go to your interview with Olympic gold medalist Jordan Burroughs. Welcome to the PWI podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, it's it's our privilege. Uh, let me just run this down. Uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, because your your list of accomplishments is pretty huge. Uh, New Jersey native, three-time All-American, uh, Hodge Trophy winner with the University of uh, Nebraska, uh, NCAA title in 2011, and the Olympic gold medal. That's that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you left out a couple of things, but who's counting, right? Exactly, yeah. I wanted to just go with the high-level overview there. So um, you're obviously preparing right now for the uh, the 2016 Olympics. Uh, really, I am. Uh, how's the preparation? What's uh, what, what does that entail at this stage? It's going extremely well at this point. I think this has been something that I've been very interested in accomplishing since stepping off the podium in 2012 in London. So it's been a lot of strategic planning since 2012, four years of preparation, hard work and sacrifice. And so I'm looking forward to training the same way I did in 2012, just with a different focus and a different mindset. Um, this is really going to be an opportunity to submit a legacy for myself as one of the greatest American wrestlers of all time. So I'm looking forward to it. That's terrific. And you mentioned a different mindset and a different kind of focus. I mean, does it change going, you know, this time you're the favorite, you know, um, you're going in there expected as the gold medalist favorite. Does it change your mindset being the one that everyone's kind of looking for, or are you approaching it the same way? Absolutely. I think that with pressure and expectations, you have to be able to detach your performance from your emotions. And so I understand that I have the target on my back, but the opportunity has presented itself because of my success in the past. I know that I'm in a position to do great things. Um, so I've kind of embraced my position. I think that going into Rio, I feel better than I ever have physically, mentally, and psychologically. I'm in a great place. And I think this is going to be an opportunity for me not only to replicate, but to try to improve upon what I did in London and hopefully dominate my competition. 
competition. That's very cool. Now, you mentioned the competition there. I, I was curious, at this stage of the game, and again, you've already won gold, you're an accomplished wrestler in, in any measure. Uh, are you worried, do you scout the competition? Do you pay attention to who else might qualify, who you'll be facing, or at this point, is it just a matter of, you know what you can do, you need to prepare your own way? Do, do you pay attention to the competition at this stage? That's an interesting question. I think it's a combination of the both of those things. I do watch a lot of videos of my opponents, but also I want to try to maintain self. And that means being the best wrestler that I possibly can be and hoping that my best stuff is better than their best stuff. I understand that my competitors are going to come with different game plans and strategies to accommodate for my wrestling ability, but also I know that I'm going to have to make mid-match adjustments because I don't know what to expect from each guy. They may wrestle me differently when they have their other opponents. So it'll be interesting to see what every guy throws at me, but I know that once Rio rolls around in August of 2016, I will be very prepared. Terrific. That's cool. And, and obviously, the other thing with wrestling uh, among all sports really is, you know, weight. You know, you have to stay within your, your weight uh, your weight class, your weight limits, your guidelines. And there's a lot of time and preparation that's in there. Uh, what are you doing diet-wise? How, how are you kind of keeping nutrition to, to stay lean and, and, you know, make sure that you uh, have, the, have what you need to, uh, to kind of keep the, the fuel in the tank? Sure. That's an important aspect of wrestling. It's really hard to stress the significance of putting good stuff into your body until you've actually been involved with the sport for such a long period of time. I understand that what I put in is what I get out. And so if I want my highest performance, I've got to put the best stuff into my body. And so that's why having this partnership and relationship with Chibani has really been helpful for my preparation for Rio. It's been a really good um, partnership just strictly because of Chobani's um, interest in making sure that they have no bad stuff in their ingredients and so they're all natural, non-GMO. And so it's great for me within training when I'm getting down the weight in preparation for big events to make sure that my muscles are big and strong from a lot of the protein that they pack into their yogurt. So it's all good stuff. Nice, very cool. See, now I, I don't mean to brag, but I was the uh, captain of my high school wrestling team myself, uh, oh, so I know what it's nice. like about putting good things in the body. But I, I've spent the past twenty-five years just putting bad things in my body. So, um, yeah. Oh, hey. So maybe it's I should. A better day than ever to start putting good stuff. In <laughs> maybe I should rediscover the Chobani. Um, yeah, no doubt. I wanted to ask you too. Um, there was all that talk uh, over the past couple of years about wrestling being removed from the Olympics. Um, it, it's still there. It, it made the comeback. There was kind of a grassroots movement. What was it like uh, for you, being somebody that you know? This is your goal. This is your profession. This is what you do. And and all of that talk about all of a sudden it being potentially taken out of the Olympics. Uh, kind of what was uh, going through your mind during that, and and what was that period of time like? Extremely interesting dynamic during that period of time. I remember back in, I believe it was February of 2013 when the official announcement was made. It was a time of mixed emotions. Obviously, a lot of resentment, a lot of uh, just, man, we didn't know what to do. We didn't understand why the decision had been made, especially from one of the Olympics' oldest and most prestigious sports we've been in the game since the beginning of the time. So that was a difficult position to be in, but I think that we had the people involved in the sport, the character, the storylines, the awesome content that really it put into the American forefront and internationally, the notoriety gained from just a lot of people who were involved in wrestling previously. You never know who has relationships in the sport um, until you have something like that transpiring and you see who was able to get behind us. Um, 
and we were able to return. So I think right now we're in a position where we've returned to Rio in 2016. We'll also be in the games in Tokyo in 2020. And uh, moving forward, we hope to be one of the core sports and programs back in the Olympic Games for the remainder of time. So we're looking forward to doing so. I think I'm in a good position to be the leader of that campaign and be an awesome ambassador for the sport of wrestling. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting, but. I'm excited to do so. That's fantastic. And that's really what wrestling, uh, Olympic and freestyle and amateur Greco-Roman wrestling really needs is kind of that that ambassador, that, that mainstream uh, name who can be associated with it. And hopefully, you Absolutely. know, that can that can happen. Uh, now, I understand also that you were a, a pro wrestling fan kind of as a kid growing up. I was. I what, was very much so. What kind of got you into uh, WWF and, and pro wrestling? It was always readily available on TV, probably. Um, there were a lot of superstars in the game. Hulk Hogan and Hulk Mania really transcended that sport and made it popular and mainstream. So I remember those guys, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage, um, just a number of guys that I watched as a kid. The Ultimate Warrior was one of my favorites. And so now, going back and thinking about where I was in that position as a young man, having all the plush dolls and the action figures and the little ring set where we fight with my buddies. It was awesome. It was awesome. It really kind of motivated me to be a great wrestler, except it was a little different. We wrestled on the mat and not in the ring, and we were shooting double legs and not hitting guys with chicken. Right, right. Now, did did uh, being a fan of pro wrestling, did that lead you to amateur wrestling, uh, or, or did, uh, was it a completely separate, different uh, path that, that kind of got you involved with it uh, as an amateur? It did. It did. I was a fan of wrestling. I was the first in my family to wrestle and the only person in my family. And so when we went with the flyer that I received from my local elementary school to the wrestling arena, we really didn't know what to expect. We'd seen it on TV. My dad was a fan of wrestling as well. And so once we arrived at the local gym and saw a wrestling match, we were like, huh, it's a little different than WWF, but I know that a lot of the guys in the WWF were former high school and collegiate wrestlers. So we knew it was a great segue and a great place character build. Um, and so that's why I stuck with it as a young man. That's very cool. So now after the Olympics, I mean, did, would you ever give any consideration to getting into pro wrestling? Is that anything you've considered or... Is that kind um, of uh, probably a not. future? Probably not. I'm, I'm really small, so I'd have to be one of those guys that are, like, jumping off the top ropes <laughs> and doing all that crazy stuff, doing all the acrobatics and stunts. So I'll probably stay away from it. I'm a big fan. I love to watch, but uh, amateur wrestling is my go-to. Fantastic. Now, are you going at the 74-kilogram uh, weight class? I am. 74 okay. kilograms or 163 pounds. See, now, back in the earlier uh, era, you know, when you were kind of coming up watching as a fan, that was too small. Uh, now WWE is making a big movement where they have guys on the roster who are 180, 190 or so. Um, you know, with a little bit of bulking up, you can potentially do it. I know. I might have to try. I saw Floyd Mayweather was in the ring. He was, like, fighting the Big Show. Big Show is, like, 500 pounds. Floyd Mayweather is, like, 145 pounds. So if he can do it, I definitely can do it. That's right. And Floyd Mayweather won the match. It was uh, by hook or by crook, but Floyd Mayweather beat the Big Show. <laughs> I don't know if he actually beat him, but, yeah, for uh, crowd purposes, he did beat him, I suppose. Very cool. All right. Well, Jordan, I know that you're uh, out of time. you got a, a limited amount of time, so I wanted to thank you, and best of luck this thank summer, you. man. I appreciate that. Thank you for the invite, and thanks for taking the time to talk. All right. Take care. Have a good one, my man.